this wrestling business, there's never been a bigger ass kissing, butt sucking bastard in this business, but also in life, you're the biggest ass kissing, back, back stabbing, butt sucking bastard. And you belong where you're at in WCW, because WCW sucks. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Now, Nate, first things first, we have now watched six episodes of these WCW Nitros. How is your brain holding up? Nate? Nate, are you... Oh, are you there? I guess... I. I guess all this time spent in the year 2000 has thrown off Nate's concept of time and space. He appears to be running a little late. Well, thankfully, we do have a backup plan for something like this. We, we joked about it in the past that if Nate is unable to physically continue down this road, that we will have to turn to uh, the man who is with me right now, Marty DeRosa. Marty, I thought it was going to take until the Battle Bowl invasion, but apparently we're kickstarting this thing early. Marty, how happy are you that you're going to be reviewing Nitro every single week now for the next year? Oh, no, 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 no. You didn't tell me it would be every single week for the rest of the year. I can't, I can't, I, you can't, I can't do this. There's no, no way. No, no. There's no way. That's part of the waiver when you come on and you agree to do the show that it's in the fine print that you could be called to be on every single episode of the show. Did you, did you, Vince Russo, swerve me into being your co-host for the whole rest of this experiment? I WW Networked swerved you is what mm. I so Marty, I think where we gotta we gotta know since the audience is gonna be spending so much time with you for the next uh, forty eight episodes of this <laughs> podcast, had you tapped out on WCW by this point? First of all, uh, belated slappy New Year to you and all the listeners. <laughs> uh, okay, this is kind of interesting because uh, at this time I was I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, I was doing, we were doing like a, uh, a public access show long before podcasts, there were public access shows. We were doing a public access, uh, wrestling show called the pro wrestling report, which is still going with, uh, Damian Nelson and some other guys in, uh, the greater Milwaukee area. And I was, uh, uh, either if I was home, we had two TVs, we had the cable spliced, uh, which was a must if you were a wrestling fan back in the. Uh, late 90s to have Raw on one TV and Nitro on the other. Mm. And I was giving Nitro every chance possible. Um, you know, you start watching shows like this and you start going, I don't think this is going to work <laughs> out. But it was still wrestling. And I would still back then I was I would still watch it. Um, it was definitely now when I would watch the first hour uh, of Nitro and then hit record and switch over to Raw. And I would I, me and my friends that had a, like a no flipping policy. We weren't going to go back and forth. Uh, there was obviously no social media to ruin anything, and then we would go back and watch Nitro, and little by little, friends would peel off. Eh, I don't want to watch this. I'm out of here. I get it. 
or uh, how come this isn't as good as the other show, things like that. So was there a time period, though, when you were dedicated to watching WCW, maybe during the hot years in like 96 through 98 at all? I, I grew up uh, in Northwest Indiana, which is on the outskirts of Chicago. So we got everything. We got uh, WCW back in the day, world class, AWA, WWF, WCW, whatever, NWA. So I was I was into everything. And I actually I was more so like I was the kid in school saying like, you know, no, 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 the Road Warriors are better than Demolition and Sting is better than the Ultimate Warrior and Ric Flair is better than Hulk Hogan. So I was like waving the the NWA WCW flag. Um, but this was this was I mean, I, I, I can't defend I can't defend this against like when you've got the Rock and Austin and DX and, you know, cool stuff happening on the other show. Oh, a lot of cool stuff was happening in the world. And on that note, we're going to do our little flashback segment here. We're going to see what was going on on this particular day. Now, this episode took place on February 7th, 2000. I went and I looked up what was the highest rated show up against this episode. It wasn't Raw, which did very well in terms of cable, but it wasn't the highest rated show on all of television. At this time period, and kind of this day, CBS was dominating the Monday night scene with their comedies. And... You had the CBS Monday Night lineup, which was King of Queens, Yes, Mm. Dear, Everybody Loves Raymond, and Becker. Now, I feel like at this time I was kind of watching Everybody Loves Raymond. I remember I actually had some Ray Romano stand-up CDs that I would listen to. Uh, But what sort of comedy were you into at this point? I believe this was when I was starting to become quite the comedy aficionado. So I was either uh, watching my Mr. Show VHS cassettes or trying to find out like what cool British shows were out there. Uh, I never really watched Friends also because SmackDown was always on Thursdays. Yeah. So I remember that whole thing of being like, Friends was something I would watch like on reruns. Um, and I was, yeah, I was definitely, I, when you think of all those shows, like Everyone Loves Raymond and King of Queens, like those to me just seem like, hey, I'm a dad, what can I watch? Like what's out there for me? And there was this like, you know, show like Hot Wife, Too Hot for the, the Schlubby Husband. Right. Uh, the kids who, you know, treat them like they're dummies. And I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm good. I don't need to watch those. Now, let's say the network comes to you, Marty. And we're yes. going to turn back to, let's say it's the mid-90s, back when every single stand-up was just trying to get a sitcom. Let's say yeah. you get the chance to do your sitcom. Mm-hmm. What's the setup? What's 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 Marty doing on Marty? Oh, I would ha- it would have to be a behind-the-scenes like a pro wrestling, and it would have been the, the perfect time for it. Would you be oh, like a promoter or would you be a ref or would you be like a, a guy who's, you know, up in, what, what, how would you fit into the world? Ooh, I would, I would love to have done something like, uh, yeah, you know, maybe a referee who keeps messing up, like a, a referee who can't help but mess things up or something that would be fun or, or, you know, just kind of the, uh, the, the guy who maybe his, uh, maybe like an unwilling triple H where you marry the boss's daughter and you're thrown <laughs> into this world and you're just like, what is happening? I don't understand any of this. You know, actually an interesting twist is that you marry a girl who ends up being like a Stephanie type and you had no idea that's what the family business was. Yeah. You sort of get yeah. forced into the wrestling business. Yeah. Like the, the way she keeps alluding to the family business, I'm thinking, I think her dad is in the mob or something. Yep. She just came saying the business, you know, and then finally turns out she's in the wrestling business. I'm a fish out of water. I don't like it at all. And then boom, I'm helping run a, a wrestling company. The well, the mafia might be a slightly more legal enterprise that you could <laughs> enter into. Yeah, and you know they they take care of their employees and don't call them independent contractors. That's true. Well, enough of the fake wrestling talk. Let's talk about the real wrestling talk. Let's get into what happened on this episode of Nitro. Big sexy Kevin Nash appointed me as acting commissioner. Big Papa, 
take care of our first order of business. Now, Heavy D and Big Ron, it is our distinguished pleasure to welcome you to the NWO. So we then go to the NWO locker room to start things off right. So Jeff goes uh, over what he has in store for tonight, and it's impossible to make out what he's saying, though, as there's like this Euro pop music playing underneath. Jeff uh, reveals that he has a surprise for Sid that'll make him beg to get rid of his belt on eBay. Uh, a fairly topical joke from Jeff Jarrett, actually, off the top. Yeah, and it was, you know, and he might have even said back in the day, like, you're going to take it to one of those eBay stores at a mini mall. <laughs> So we then go into the arena where Tony welcomes us to a sold-out convention center in downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma. To start the show, Three Count is shown already in the ring. The source of that mystery music from the opening segment is revealed here as this is the WWE Network's replacement for the Three Count theme. I How could I have known? Every single week we've had Three Count, they've always had a different song associated with them. So the mystery track in the background is skipping around and it's messing up. I assume this was maybe a network glitch on my end, but it actually turns out this is a technical glitch that is caused by Norman Smiley in the production truck, who's instructing the producers to fuck around with Three Counts music. The music is it's really stopped. What in the world has happened to their music? Oh, look at this. Norman Smiley is ruining the top song in the nation, Tony. These fans can't hear what they came to hear. As Norman makes his way out, we are reminded of his two previous matches with Shane Helms and Shannon Moore. Tonight will be the final in a Worst of Three series, as Norman takes on band leader Evan Courageous. Evan gets the early advantage by dumping Norman to the floor. Norman gets back in the ring and suplexes Evan. Norman gets the big wiggle on Evan to provoke a Norman chant from the crowd. Shannon then distracts the ref as Shane attempts to interfere, but Norm fights out. Evan rolls up Norman, who's eight, who Norman here was supposed to kick out, but he kind of missed his cue so the ref just stops counting and then norman actually reverses it and gets the pin now even at less than two minutes this was another terribly overbooked mess in this three count norman smiley series after the match the three boy bands attempt to jump norman and we cut to danny hodge in the front row cheering norman smiley's victory Well, if Danny was a fan of that action, there's more on the way as Norman grabs a mic and challenges all three members of Three Count to a handicap match at Super Brawl. It almost feels like it should be the other way around where Three Count challenges him to the match because I, mm -hmm. I just, I can't, unless something's on the line, why would a babyface knowingly provoke a three-on-one match? And then am I correct And this was the unopposed hour? They had an hour start, uh, Howard, they got an hour jump before Raw, so to really keep the people on, this is like, we're going to start off with a bang. What gave it away, Marty, that this was unopposed Who at 8 o'clock? Who knew? The stars were out. Tony and Madden then run down the card for tonight. We are going to hear tonight from the total package with Elizabeth, he always has something to say. Plus, fans, we're also going to see the Demon against Billy Kidman one-on-one -on -one here tonight. Also, we are going to have Booker, formerly of Harlem Heat, as Booker will go one-on-one -on -one tonight to take on the wall. And then speaking of Harlem Heat, Big Stevie Ray, along with Big T of Harlem Heat, will face the Disco Inferno as we are off and running here tonight in World Championship Wrestling. Well, one thing that I thought was interesting was as uh, Shivani was going through the list of matches, I was like, wow, you don't see that on Raw. Like, you're never going to see 
you know, hey, here's what we got for you, the whole lineup of matches nowadays. So I thought that was kind of refreshing. I'm like, ooh, this is interesting that a, a show on a Monday night is giving you all the matches, you know, right ahead of time. Like, you mean no one's going to bump into somebody backstage and have a match? In the back, Jay Biggs, in a neck brace, escorts cops into the men's locker room. Biggs instructs the officers to search Booker's bag for illegal contraband. They then seize any Harlem Heat-related materials from the bag. Elsewhere, the NWO walks towards the ring. Outside, for the sixth week in a row, a limo is prominently showcased as Ric Flair emerges with a trio of young ladies. Uh, I guess there's this is this is how WCW tells you that someone's healed. They enjoy group sex. Any heel on this show has to be seen with multiple women. Yeah, it's weird. The like the night a guy after he does like a, a baby face turn, he has to bring all three of his girls into the room and be like, "Look, uh, <laughs> I'm a fan favorite now, so I'm gonna have to have two of you go home." I, I gotta be celibate at this point. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I gotta focus on the in ring. We then go into the arena where the NWO's music hits, bringing out the group, accompanied by Tylene, April, Medasia, Kim, and whatever the fuck Scott Steiner was wearing. Uh, I'm gonna let you do the honors, Marty. How? What was he wearing? How would you describe this outfit that Scott Steiner had brought to Tulsa, Oklahoma? Uh, I am assuming that next door to the gym they were working out at, there was a party city, <laughs> and. Scott Steiner went in there and was like, I want something cool to wear on Nitro and found like your classic like pimp costume. And he got the purple pimp costume and could not have looked more ridiculous in it. Would you take a good look at the way Big Papa Pump is dressed? Big Papa Pump's looking great. The girls oh are looking better. So he's got this big zebra top hat, wide brim thing with a feather coming out of it. And he's got this purple like velvet crushed shirt on quite the look for him mark says that he's a man with needs and that he prefers tylene out of all the nwo girls he then asks which woman tony prefers tony says he probably shouldn't answer because he's a family man tony just can't help himself though and he confesses that he would like to fuck april and kim (laughs) tony you're a man you have needs which one of the nwo girls do you like the best i like the blonde one tylene well, I, uh, I, I I shouldn't say this. I mean, I'm a family man, but I happen to like April, the redhead, and uh, I like Kim, the girl on the left arm of, of Big Papa Pump. Unlike last week's show, Scott Hall gets some time on the mic. He teases saying, hey, yo, but never actually delivers and instead just passes the mic to Don Harris, probably the biggest heel move of his entire career. Don then cuts heel promo number three on WWE 2K17. You better stay because if you don't it's simple you're gonna get hurt this is when scott steiner gets the mic and does the most scott steiner thing imaginable things started normally with steiner by giving his hoochies a shout out calling himself the purple warrior and asking medasia to describe his fuck style you're not just any man between the sheets honey kim why don't you tell him what he's really like Oh, that's right. Big pop of pumps now. And he just, he's our Superman. Steiner then pivots from Big Papa to a grieved conspiracy theorist as he decides to attack Ric Flair. Now last week, I was watching TV and I watched a 53-year-old man come out here who has more loose skin than a Sharpay puppy come out here and say he's still the man. Steiner goes so far as to bring up the name of the late Buddy Rogers, the original Nature Boy, to say that Buddy still has more class in the ground than Rick does today, 
Scott then committed the ultimate sin in wrestling. He acknowledged the competition. So when you walked down that aisle last week, I know I wasn't alone because the people at home, all they did was grab their remote, change the channel to the WWF, and watch Stone Cold, a person you and your old friends got fired from here. Scott wraps up by saying that Ric Flair belongs in WCW because WCW sucks. Now, why did he do this? This was, of course, all building up to nothing. <laughs> now, how was Scott Steiner punished? Uh, he was given one week suspension with pay, of course. So he was given a one week vacation. Uh, yeah, poor Flair, man. He takes a beating on this show. Um, Terry Funk gets some, some digs in on him, too. And uh, I thought when I, when you start hearing this, like you said, you're just like, oh yeah, this led to nothing at all. So uh, and Steiner also, you know, you kind of say he says all these things. I don't know if that's exactly the right word for it. He kind of stumbled through trying to say all these things. It wasn't exactly the most eloquent uh, promo of all time. No, he at one point he called him like a like a ass kick, ass kissing buck butt sucker, and he like tripped over the word butt sucker, like I just did. <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of, you'd almost think like, you know, how Kevin Owens is French Canadian and English is his second language. Mm-hmm. You would almost think that English is Steiner's second language. Like, oh, he's doing a pretty good job. You know, oh, this is his first language. Oh, yeah, this is not good. Well, the thing that's always tough with Scott on these episodes is that he wears those glasses. So you can't tell what drugs he's on. <laughs> well, you can look at his body and tell a couple drugs. Oh, yeah, a couple drugs he's probably on. But uh, and then he what was he calling him Nature Boy the second or the second incarnate like second version of the Nature yeah. Boy or something. I was hoping for a Buddy Landell. Like shit, I'd rather take Buddy <laughs> Landell over you. So at this point, Jeff Jarrett is given the unenviable task of following all of this up. He returns us to Wrestling World by talking about his upcoming match with Sid. Jeff reveals that the referee for that match will be Mark Johnson and that the NWO has paid him off. Not only that, but the Super Brawl title match will now be no DQ as well. Jared announces that Sid will wrestle Scott Hall in tonight's main event in a non-title match. Hall looks worried, fakes a limp in front of Jarrett, but Jeff says that he's cleared Hall for competition tonight. Scott looks pissed that he has to wrestle Sid without the title on the line. Jeff concludes by saying... This outsider is going to be all up in your ass tonight. Sid, this outsider is going to be all up in your ass tonight. In the back, Booker and Midnight walk towards the ring, as Booker says that Harlem Heat took his colors and his music, but they can't take his dignity. Elsewhere, Mean Gene interviews Dave DeFlair about his I Quit match against Terry Funk tonight. Gene, maybe this was meant to be, but tonight, I'm going to fight one of my father's battles for him tonight. Got it! We then get a Super Brawl tease as an on-screen graphic informs us that Ric Flair and Terry Funk will face each other at Super Brawl. Tony does the hard sell by stating, Will this settle things once and for all? Maybe. We're not sure. Wow, Tony. (laughs) Take my money now. Coming up at Super Brawl, they will settle it. Maybe. Once and for all. We're not sure. Back in the arena, accompanied by Midnight and his Leave it to Beaver replacement music, Booker enters the arena. Booker does his usual entrance, but no flames erupt when he calls for them. Sadly, getting all the benefits of his entrance, though, is the wall, Booker's opponent. Booker gets the early offense, but the wall gets a big boot in the corner. They brawl around the ring for a bit before wall gets tired and the two head back in the ring so that he can rest in a sleeper hold. Booker then goes to the top rope, but wall knocks him down after Jay Biggs comes out and distracts him. Booker, distracted by Biggs, gets chokeslammed by the wall and pinned. 
Jay Biggs then sends the cops in to arrest Booker. As part of due process, I think you ought to know what you're being charged with. Last week you committed a plethora of offenses. They are assault and battery, culpable negligence, reckless endangerment, and the most serious of them all, attempted murder. Now, Marty, unless the law has was staggeringly different 17 years ago, this is not how arrests work. Police officers don't just arrest people for crimes committed in other states because someone asked them to. Yeah, and definitely, uh, I, I enjoyed how he called him a hardened criminal 800 times. Yep. Uh, and also, it's interesting, too, because with the wall beating Booker T, and then later on when uh, the, the, the demon match... The announcers don't really seem to know who's like the, the bigger star because they're like, this is an upset. I don't know. Is it really an upset? Well, maybe it's an upset. I don't know. I don't think it's an upset. Okay, it's not an upset. Like, there's that back and forth of like, they don't really know who exactly is the big star here or whatever. Um, but yeah, the whole, the whole Booker T, Big T thing, and then seeing Ahmed come out or Big T, whatever, was just like, oh man, this was the beginning of him morphing into uh, the Suge Knight role he would one day play in the Hammer movie. Yes. Yeah, it's a real shame that there's there's not a real shining Big T moment in this episode. He's really become my favorite, but he got very <laughs> little to do in this episode, except for wear a, a like a Hunter Green windbreaker suit. Yeah, just uh, it was one of those nights where he was probably so happy to see his name on the list of like, oh, I don't have to do anything. Awesome. Whereas like you'd get those guys like Benoit and Malenko and those guys who'd probably see they're not on a thing and be so mad. No, oh, I just wanted to wrestle and show everybody how good I am. And he's just like, oh, sweet night off. Brian Nobbs then storms into the NWO locker room, pissed from last week's swerve that led to him getting his arm broken by the total package. Jeff defends his sneaky ways by saying that Nobbs didn't pay enough last week, but that he'll make it up to Nobbs. Jarrett promises that Nobbs and Finley will be in the same ring tonight. Brian Nobbs, having never watched Charlie Brown attempt to kick a football, accepts this offer. If you're a broken arm and anything, I'm the hardcore champion. Yeah. I'm ready to kick some ass. You're going to get a yeah, chance yeah. to prove it. Now get out of here. we got business to take care of. You and Finley yeah. will yeah. be in the same ring. Right. It's a promise, you buddy. It, it's a damn promise. Beat it, monkey. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's get back. Is Finley going to ref again? Could we make Brian Nobbs look like more of a fucking idiot here? Yeah, it's it's I mean it's not hard to do that to him. <laughs> but uh and also he's not really a sympathetic character. Like I'm watching this and I'm like, cool, fuck him over. I don't care. And yeah, I it was also one of those things too. When I saw this incarnation of Brian Nobbs too, it just like reminds me of that big junkyard brawl they all had and that hardcore title and I was just like, Oh, I forgot all about this and now I have to think about it again. You're not a fan of the neon orange camo gear? No, not at all. It was one of those of just like, man, that era, especially too, if you go to an indie wrestling show, it was just like, okay, you got, uh, you know, New Jack wearing this and not, and then the Dudleys. And then it was just like, everybody was just like, oh, I can go to army surplus and get these. And now I'm a wrestler. I'm in. Backstage, Arn asks Terry Funk if he's really going to go through with his match against David Flair. Funk explains that he has to do what he has to do, especially since he doesn't know where Arn stands. Arn says he'll tell Funk where he stands after the match. Now at this point we go into the ring and an almost unrecognizable long-haired barbarian stands mid-ring with a leather jacket. For a second I thought this was Sting. I thought for a second Brian Adams had a shorter haircut. And then when it <laughs> turned around and it was the barbarian, I went, huh? Now barbarian did not get an entrance. Clearly he's here to be squashed. And, and who is he being fed to? Tank Abbott. As Tank enters the ring, Barbarian attacks Tank for an early advantage. Abbott lands a right hand, and Barbarian is knocked out. A dull match made 
all the more dull by a cutaway to Big Al at ringside. Oh, who's this? Oh, you know who that is? That's Big Al. Big Al, that's Tank Abbott's former bodyguard, a former member of Team Tank, an ultimate fighter himself. Why is he here? Uh, first of all, I loved uh, Tank Abbott's uh, late 90s Old Navy swimsuits that he was wearing. Uh, that was cool. Uh, I'm sure those were Velcro pockets to keep your keys in there when you're swimming. He never um, took his wallet out. What if he just kept never, everything on him? He never. didn't trust the boys in the locker room. Nope. Nope. He's like, I'm not, I heard those stories. You're not going to mess with me. Also, too, there was a thing where they mentioned Big Al's mad at Tank Abbott for doing this like phony wrestling or something. They kind of exposed the business a little bit there. I was like, oh, man, you just made it sound like here's this MMA fighter who's pissed off at this other MMA fighter because he started doing this hokey wrestling. So, yeah, that's great. Bring in a guy from the outside. Uh, and let him do that. Also, too, seeing Tank, I don't know, I guess he was as, as big and it, that was the kind of shape I remember him being in. It's not like I saw him and I'm like, oh, I thought he was supposed to look like Brock. Like, you know, I knew he was kind of a, just a, a fat guy. And it is kind of interesting, too, when you have like your finisher is just a right hand and it's like, okay. Like, even when the, like, when the big show does it, I'm like, well, it's the big show. But eh, Tank, even though it's this whole like, oh, he's a legitimate athlete, I'm like, then what are we doing? Like, everyone's punching each other in the head. But besides, I mean, I, every time this guy comes out, I just scratch my head. I'm like, how do you package this guy so that he looks better? Yeah. Because I don't want to necessarily just jump to, like, put him in jean shorts. Yeah, because I, th- I think his legs were tiny or something like that. Yeah. So I think that would have made him look, you know, a little silly. And, and yeah, I mean, shorts, whatever, kind of the Lesnar thing, but the upper body wasn't there. And, and I do kind of like how, you know, reading, like, Death of WCW, when there was one point where Russo's like, and then I'm going to put the title on Tank because he's the toughest guy here. And they were like, you got to go home. Yeah, we just so went least, through that era. <laughs> yeah, so at least somebody there was like, no, 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 this isn't the guy. Well, speaking of the guy, <laughs> we yeah. then go backstage to see Crowbar walking up to the demon's casket, and he knocks on it to see if anyone's home. Crowbar then begins to play air guitar before Daphne is heard screaming off camera. An embarrassed Crowbar then goes to investigate. These are really characters you can invest in. Oh, man. I had to tell uh, my podcast partner, Sarah, who's this era of wrestling she was not watching. She said, oh, this is maybe why my parents didn't let me watch wrestling back then, like when you cut to Medusa coming out later. But um, I explained to her the whole Kiss Demon thing and how Bischoff wanted to do a pay-per-view at New Year's Eve, Y2K, and all this stuff. And she just looked at me like, you can't, you can't be serious. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's a thing. We then uh, get some footage from the Kid Cam, which was a portable video camera that was manned by Billy Kidman. The Kid Cam is filming Tori Wilson as she puts on lip gloss. Tori asks if he ever turns the camera off, and Billy responds, not if there's naked girls around. Do you ever turn nothing off? Not if I'm in here with naked girls around. Too much. Tori finds her boyfriend's peeping Tom confession so adorable that she kisses the lens of the camera. Uh, now, Marty, I know we, we've both been in long-term relationships. Do you think this is the standard reaction when you tell your significant other that you're an amateur pornographer? Uh, no, it is not. <laughs> it is not. But I guess this would just, like, that's the, when you get these, like, little snapshots of just what the culture was like at this time period, it's like, oh, that's, that's just an adorable thing that all men should be perverts. <laughs> oh, girls were going wild all over the nation. So, yeah, <laughs> this was totally acceptable. We then go back out into the arena, and as we are in the state of Oklahoma, we of course have to have an appearance from the character Oklahoma. It's been it's been like a good month since we've seen this guy, and unfortunately he is back now. Oklahoma says that he is here in an official capacity, as Jeff Jarrett has named him the general manager of the WCW women's division. 
Move over, Stephanie. This was the original women's revolution. (laughs) Oklahoma says that his women's division won't be like any other because women have no place in wrestling. However, he thinks they're adorable for continuing to try. Oklahoma institutes rigorous medical exams for the women and that he will be present for all of them. Madden then suggests that he lend an extra hand. Rigorous medical examinations for each and every woman on the roster, of which I will be personally present at each and every one. Thank you. Thank you very much. Maybe he needs an extra hand, Tony. He's clearly going for, like, Lawler's horny old man gimmick, but he's landing somewhere around, like, porn shop desk club. Yeah. It's not as, like, innocent and adorable when he does it. Yeah, I think Lawler, and, and maybe it's because he was a little older or something, or, you know, Madden looks the part a little more, but, yeah, he's just coming off as, like, the guy who you'd be at a Starbucks, and you'd be like, that dude's got Pornhub up right now on his computer. Like, this is insane. What is he doing? Yeah, Lawler's doing the whole, like, Benny Hill, like, he's gonna, like, try to, you know, goose the girls, and they'll, like, slap his hands, and he'll, like, you know, chase him around in, like, you know, fast, as, like, yakety sax plays or something. Whereas Mark Madden seems, like, legitimately, like, the terrifying guy that, like, people need to be walked to their car. To, yeah, to he's the him. guy who wears uh, sweatpants and no underwear to the strip joint. <laughs> uh, Oklahoma then brings out Dr. Haywood Jeter. Who is this man? Oklahoma explains that Jeter is a world-renowned cosmetic surgeon. Now, what the fuck does any of this have to do with a wrestling program? Well, apparently, he is Medusa's cosmetic surgeon. Jeter admits that he's given Medusa a nose job an eye job, a boob job, a lip job, and an ass augmentation. Oklahoma cites that this is the reason he is disqualifying Medusa from the women's division because there's nothing natural about her. Medusa then comes out in a top that doubled as an advertisement for Dr. Jeter. Yeah, and if any of you guys don't know what we're talking about, just imagine back in uh, Back to the Future Part 2 when Marty's mom had those giant fake boobs. That's literally what it looked like. It was... They looked so big and so dumb. I'm like, what is she doing? Medusa gets in the doctor's face before slapping him and kicking him. Medusa then throws out Oklahoma out of the ring before turning her attention back to the doctor, breaking a clipboard over his head and grinding her foot into his crotch. One, two, three, hit it! Wait, hold- Marty, do you, do you hear that? I do. I... My God, I, I think that's... That's Nate Milton's music. What's going on, brother? That- Wait a minute. Who? Yeah, we... Hey, uh, Brian, how, how did Marty DeRosa get up to the satellite of hate? Well, we talked about this before. Marty was here, supposed to be here this week. I We talked, we bantered a little bit off the top. I, I assumed that WCW 2000 is now warping your mind in terms of time and space because you you weren't here when the show started. Are you okay? Or has WCW now started to affect you mentally? I had a dream. It was I was out in the parking lot, and and there were like seven limos. And every time I got in a limo, thinking it was gonna bring me up here, it it took me to a different part of the world and a, and a different part of the universe. I was I was I was uh, I was very confused. Well, I guess you were awoken by the fact that Marty and I literally just talked about maybe the worst segment uh, on this show. Now, without which segment do you think we're talking about, Nate? <laughs> Oh, there's there's so many options, so, <laughs> so many, many so many to choose from. You only from. have a one in five hundred chance of getting this, so go for Let's it. Say, how about the one the, the one without Sting? <laughs> how about that one? <laughs> you can't say every segment, Nate. No, we just discussed um, the debut of Doctor Haywood Jeter, Medusa's cosmetic surgeon, <laughs> and we ran down that segment. So, Nate, I'm sure that this uh, this 
episode is still very fresh in your mind. How did you feel about that uh, that segment and the way that it set up this brand new women's division and apparently the continue the continuing Medasia Oklahoma feud that we thought had was dead and buried a month ago? Yeah, that was the biggest thing for me, Brian. Like I thought that we were out of the woods as far as Oklahoma was concerned. Uh, you know, I, I'm. I'm upset that I didn't look ahead before we started talking about this episode this week, and, and I, I could have kept myself abreast of the situation, uh, but instead we all fell into this booby trap. Uh, <laughs> now I feel like we just straight busted. <laughs> that's that's. But <laughs> see how see how much more charming that was than anything Mark Madden said on Nitro. <laughs> Nate, no, you know was, how to do it. <laughs> oh, thank you, brother. This this was this was just the worst. Like, not only was it. Uh, insulting to my intelligence as as a viewer, but it it just wasted time. And like there was actually something good that could be accomplished through this segment because uh, I think it was a few episodes ago, Brian, where we talked about them actually having some talented women on the roster. But now you you leave me just, and I hate to go back to the well, but now you leave me flat uh, <laughs> in terms of any anticipation that I have for you know what's going on with these women. You know a segment's bad when the best thing you could say about it is, well, at least the guy didn't act like he had Bell's palsy. Mm. <laughs> it's true. He has dropped that element of the gimmick. We then go backstage where Ric Flair walks around with a trio of women. Elsewhere, Terry Funk and David Flair are shown walking to the ring for their match. Mean Gene interviews WCW executive board member Terry Taylor about a closed-door meeting that has just concluded. Taylor explains that while the board cannot change the participants in a match, they can change the stipulations. As such, the board has decided that Mark Johnson is no longer refing the match at Super Brawl and that Scott Hall's match against Sid is now for the world title tonight. And Gene, what would happen, you're a wagering man, if Scott Hall wins tonight? What does that do to the NWO and Jeff Jarrett? Little fireworks, I suspect. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks. At this point, we then get a flashback as we are shown footage from the classic Ric Flair-Terry Funk I Quit match from 1989. Is there anything crueler than showing footage of Ric Flair before Mm. you have to watch David Flair wrestle? I think if the network had, like, the algorithms figured out, they could tell that it was at this point where everybody stopped this Nitro who didn't have to review it for a podcast (laughs) and then turned on that Clash of the Champs and watched that match. (laughs) <laughs> Here's the thing, Marty. I'm going to go on a limb. I think three people watched this episode of Nitro this week. Yeah, someone's yeah. printing out a sheet in Stanford going, three people watched an old Nitro from 2000. <laughs> Somebody get me Terry Funk on the line. <laughs> we got to re-sign him. <laughs> but no, this was the, uh, this might have actually been the, the biggest disparity between joy and pain that I had on this episode because I vividly remember that uh, match with Funk and Flair. And it's it might be one of my favorite Terry Funk matches ever. But then we go from Ric Flair to David Flair, and we also go from, like, prime Terry Funk, which I guess was still probably in his 40s, to 2000 Terry Funk, which, which again, makes me sad. Yeah, he's 55 at this point. <laughs> it's always weird to see Funk after Beyond the Mat and go, oh, my God, he's still wrestling. Yeah, he would still have another year in a national company. Oh, after no. That. Yeah, he has this, and then he comes back uh, six years after this in in WWE. Yep. (laughs) So Funk makes his way out for the match that shared very little with that 1989 match we just discussed. David Flair then comes out with Crowbar and Daphne, but he sends them to the back, wanting to do this by himself. Funk asks if David understands what he's getting into, and offers David one chance to say, I quit before the match starts. David responds by saying, I'll go to hell before I'm quitting. 
Funk then challenges Rick to come out now and face him instead of making his son fight his battles. David grabs a chair and whacks Funk from behind. David then lands a series of unprotected chair shots to the head of a 55-year-old man. These two then brawl around the outside, and Funk lands a pile driver on the floor. Funk again demands Rick come out, and then asks David if he quits. David refuses. So Funk then pile drives David onto the exposed concrete floor. Funk sets up a table at ringside and pile drives David through the table. The crowd is now chanting, We want Flair, which was a pretty subtle burial of David Flair, who was actually in front of the crowd at the time. Funk then sets up a second table and promises to break David's neck. Funk then gives Rick five seconds to come out or he will splash David through the table. Funk counts down, but Rick never shows. I don't need to beat on this kid anymore, Flair. I'm not going to beat on him. I'll quit tonight, but I damn sure ain't quitting when I get you out here in the same kind of match. The bell rings and refs help David to the back. Oddly enough, Tony and Mark, for some reason, want to say that this rivals that 1989 match. It did not in any way. But I will say, in terms of this show, this might have been the best segment. It clearly wasn't really a match, but I thought it was a pretty good angle that um, really, you know, got to the heart of a, a, of the of the issue here. <sighs> I, I just damn near about quit when I was watching this, Uh-oh. brother man, <laughs> because... We had different feelings. And, and it's not to say that, you know, it didn't accomplish what it set out to do. You know, it... it it got the major themes across, but the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking not only from a storyline perspective, but also from a real life perspective, Ric Flair, probably not a great dad. No. Like he, he is up there in the pantheon with, with such luminaries as Joe Jackson, uh, whoever the hell Bobby Brown's daddy was. Uh, <laughs> like, poor, poor David. That's, every time I see this man on the screen, it is it is... All I all I can muster not to not to just start tearing up, brother brother Marty, because uh, uh, kid got a bad hand. Like yeah, you probably got paid with uh, uh, luminous amounts of WCW Mastercards, but yeah, uh, yeah not like well, this, this, on, though, this Nate, is not I, the business for him. I don't want to cut you off, but he did get to have sex with Stacy Keebler, so I'm gonna say he had an all right shake. Yeah, this dude's 20 and he's on TV each week, and he's dating Stacy Keebler. So yeah, he definitely peaked. Do you think how how shitty is that that you, when you peak like that's that you want to live a good life but mm-hmm. when you front load it that much Ooh. and I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not going after David Flair here but if you see pictures of David Flair now and he runs like a steel company you know he he maybe should have spread it out a little bit more because he he had a great 1998 to 2002 <laughs> I would say yeah I wonder if that steel company makes crowbars though because that would be very ironic. <laughs> and I also wonder if, again, Flair was in the back and when Funk started calling him Banana Nose, if he was like, why is everyone making fun of me today? <laughs> <laughs> we then go backstage. Maybe the worst demotion from full-time commentator, Mike Tanay, who is not sitting in the broadcast booth this week, is just shown with his arms folded staring at a TV in the back. This is what he's flown to Tulsa to do is, hey, watch this television for us. Arn Anderson walks up to Tanay and demands a camera crew be ready in two minutes. We go to break, and when we return, that camera crew is indeed ready. Tanay interviews Arn Anderson about the Flair Funk situation. Arn blasts Rick for being Ric Flair instead of being David's father. Arn says that Funk beat a kid like David, and Rick did nothing to stop it. The fact is, Terry Funk didn't have to go out and make an example out of a 20-year-old mixed-up kid. 
He didn't have to use him as a pawn, and Rick, you didn't have to let it happen. Because somewhere in this building were these three broads, you're back here dancing around trying to be Ric Flair. When you should have been that kid's father and went down and stopped this. Arn says this whole thing makes him sick to his stomach and that he's bowing out of WCW and maybe even life. This wrestling angle has made Arn Anderson suicidal. Arn then walks off. So we're searching for like little glimmers of hope. I thought in terms of WCW 2000, this was a grounded storyline that has some legitimate emotions going on. Uh, and I think that if you're going to do an old timers program, this is maybe the best way to do it. Yeah, this kind of reminded me too of uh, having just watched uh, Triple H on Raw cut the promo on Rollins, and then you're watching this, and you see Flair, you see Funk, you see Arn, especially with Arn and Flair, and you're just like, oh, these are guys who are really good at cutting promos, and you yeah. kind of see the difference between them and you know whoever whoever else who isn't good. Insert name here. It's it's all it's a shame because I think that Arn once again delivers a very solid promo. It reminds me of the one where we got uh, his explanation right after sold out. And here, you know, have, being somebody that is both a contemporary of Flair and Funk, but also essentially, you know, David Flair's uncle, you get this believable take from this guy. And so, again, Arn Anderson shining where maybe the material or the setup isn't the best, but his performance makes you at least believe that it, it it it's grounded in, in in some sense. So yeah, I gotta give Arn props for this. It it probably is the best thing out of this angle so far. Yeah, and and I don't think it goes up from here. So let's cherish this while it lasts. <laughs> in the arena, Disco Inferno enters with the tag champs, the Mama Lukes. As previously announced, his opponent is Stevie Ray, along with Jay Biggs and Big T, who sadly left his milk jug at home this week. Now, right off the top, this crowd is dead, as tends to be the case in heel-heel matches. Disco lands a Russian leg sweep and follows up with his second rope diving forearm. Stevie takes out his slapjack. Disco takes it away and tries to get it, but Charles Robinson tugs it away from him. Disco turns around, and Stevie then hits him with the slapjack, the wrestling move, not the small leather weapon, and he gets the pin. This was completely pointless. This was meaningless. This wasn't even like... There, there, there's nothing overly bad to say. There's nothing positive. This was literally just meh. Yeah, but at least we got Stevie Ray, and uh, I'm always a fan of Stevie Ray. And I, I don't know why, but back in 2000 and even to this day, brother man, I like that his foreign object and his finishing maneuver are the exact same same name. That's so uh, goddamn confusing. It it, <laughs> it it always made me laugh because like you if know, Triple you, H came out with like a bag of dog food and you didn't know which pedigree <laughs> they were talking about. Oh uh, yes, that'd be amazing. Sting comes out with a satchel full of scorpions, <laughs> just drops them on people. Marty, was there anything positive you could glean from this uh, from this segment? No, for a second I was like, oh, see uh, Tony Marinara, which was a wonderful name. That the uh, creative brain trust came up with him. Uh, I thought that was just something else. And, and as a writer, though, Brian, because Marty brings up a good point. As a writer, how many how many times do you think they uh, they went around the room for that uh, moniker? Do you like? Do you think there was like Tony Fettuccini, Tony Alfredo? Like, do you think Marinara was the original uh, inspiration? Well, wasn't he not Tony Marinara? He was something Marinara in ECW, wasn't he? Muscles Marinara. Yeah. So can't we blame this on uh, on Paul? Oh, maybe we can. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they, no I think they missed the opportunity though, because you know you had a uh, Johnny the Bull Stamboli. Like, why would why wouldn't he uh, Johnny the Bull Stromboli? Yeah, there's a lot of food puns they could have gone with here. 
Oh, oh imagine it's pasta, Rio. Pasta mania. Mania <laughs> at the Mall of America. Nitro's there once in a while. You know, big food fight. The old yes. food fight. Leaving money on the table. Mm. Speaking of leaving money on the table, the NWO <laughs> locker room. Jared and Hall uh, assure each other that the WCW will not pull them apart and that this plan will not work. We then go to Mean Gene, who asks Sid a question, and Sid yells. See, I don't care who Jeff Jarrett or the WCW executive board throws in my path. It just don't matter, Gene. See, what bothers me is the NWO's mission around here. Everybody treats him like they're a monster. See, I remember when he came in as like the skyscrapers and I was a little kid and I was like, yes, this is awesome. And I, I, I knew that there was another Sid Vicious and I thought this was so cool. And this was around the time where it was just like, I think after his... Uh, you know, some of those title runs in the WWF where I was just like, oh, he's not the guy. And in this WCW, he just seemed to be like this guy who both companies would call in when they needed a quick fix. And it never was like, oh, cool, Sid's here. It was always just like, oh, Sid's here. And this was never more apparent in this run. And it was a very strange time. And his promo was as weird as possible. And talking about like Frankenstein's monster. And he did like a weird thing. And it, it was just like, it was so bizarre. Outside, Ric Flair is shown leaving the building, having made a trip to Tulsa for literally no reason. As Rick gets in his limo, he says that Arn is in over his head. In the arena, Bam Bam Bigelow makes his way out for the second garbage match of the night for the hardcore title. Referee Fit Finley and Brian Knobs enter together, having an argument that resulted in several bleeps on the WWE Network. Bigelow is waiting for Brian and throws a trash can at Knobs in the aisle. Bigelow works over Knobs' arm before bringing him back in the ring. Bigelow props a ladder up in the corner. Knobs in reverses with an Irish whip into the ladder. Knobs has a comeback with a series of kendo shits. Uh, kendo shits, really, that, that does... <laughs> that's said. an accurate representation of the match. Uh, Bigelow <laughs> then puts Knobs on the top ropes and sets up two chairs. Finley then hands Knobs a trash can for him to use on Bigelow, so I guess Finley is now back on Knobs' side. Knobs then uses the trash can, but Finley then hits Knobs with a chair. So, playing both sides... Bigelow covers uh, Brian Knobs and Fit Fast Counts to end this worthless match. <laughs> well, Finley helping Knobs out here a little bit. And then, it, then it hits you with the chair. Not for long. Here's a cover, and Bigelow will make a cover, and Bigelow's going to win the Hardcore Championship after he Fit Finley hit Brian Knobs with the chair. I, I don't know, Brian, because I've got at least two things that I will give this segment credit for. Number one, I enjoyed seeing Fit Finley play special referee much like I do on video games, <laughs> where I just screw both guys. Uh, and the other thing that I enjoyed about this was, okay, this is not peak, prime, great Bam Bam Bigelow, but at least having a hardcore belt on Bam Bam Bigelow makes more sense than Brian Damn Knobs. I mean, Bam Bam, is it's, it's kind of sad, too, to see him getting pretty big and not, not quite the Bam Bam everyone sort of remembers. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked Finley. I liked Bam Bam. I Knobs did absolutely nothing for me, <laughs> and and especially this version of Knobs, um, this sort of like, hey, I reinvented myself, and it's just like, not nah, you're still Knobs, and to think this guy still would would one day be like, we should bring him into TNA. It's just like unbelievable that that this mm-hmm. Knobs had anything to do with anything, and then you're like, oh, Hogan's back. Oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. So backstage, Lenny and Lodi talk to the Mamelukes before getting the shit kicked out of themselves. Elsewhere, Tori Wilson and her peeping Tom boyfriend walk to the ring. 
we see footage of Billy Kidman's recent win streak as he enters the arena. And who is his opponent tonight? It is the Kiss Demon. Uh, the Kiss Demon emerges from his coffin. He does the whole nine yards uh, that he's known for. The announcers call the Demon's entrance one of the most impressive sights in professional wrestling. But maybe the most impressive part was the fact that the original Kiss track is actually intact on the WWE Network. Did you guys notice that? I, I think yeah, Gene that... Simmons traded it for a subscription, a lifetime subscription. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad theory, Marty. But yeah, I was looking at that. And, and again, I got mad because I find things to get mad about up here in the satellite of hate. It, it's, it's what we do around here. And I'm like, oh, okay. You can, you can pay Gene Simmons just for this song, for this 2000 edition of Nitro, but you can't pay Lionel Richie so Rich Swan can come out to his correct theme song. <laughs> yeah, it might have been one of those things where WCW, the, Gene, the Kiss just felt so bad taking WCW's money. But they were like, you know what? You can just use this on all other future broadcasts. We're so sorry we took your money. Actually, I'm surprised Gene Simmons didn't pay to get his song removed. It's like, you know what? No, you're not going to soil my legacy. In the back, Crowbar watches Demon on the monitor. Maybe the best part of this Demon entrance is, you know, he gets the, he gets this fire. He comes out from a coffin. He's got these contacts in. He's drooling blood. He's got the kiss track. But as soon as the lights come up and the music fades out, it is just crickets for this guy. Nothing. So Demon gets an early advantage, but Kidman comes back with a dropkick. The announcers let us know that the Demon will be facing a mystery opponent at Super Brawl. Who could it be? Tony's only guess is, could it be somebody else with face paint? The Demon will be facing a mystery opponent. I have no idea who that could be. Well, the Demon painted his face up like Gene Simmons. Could it be someone else with face paint on? Maybe someone out there is an Ace Fraley fan. The Demon goes to the top, but Kidman cuts him off and hits a top rope Frankensteiner for the pin. Crowbar then runs out and attacks Kidman from behind, laying him out with a split-leaded gourd buster. Crowbar then commits the ultimate act of insanity by outing himself as a Demon fan and bowing to the Kiss knockoff. The Demon, though, has no time for this, and he just walks away. Uh... This was one of the. This sort of reminded me, Nate, of the first episode we did of the show, where it was just like a Russian nesting doll of shit, where each segment got progressively <laughs> worse and worse. No, so you have the demon; he has this huge entrance, and then he loses. Well, right. Not so bad, but at least we're putting Kidman over. Oh, but then Kidman gets gets beat down. Oh, well, is this new guy like a disciple of uh, the demon? No, the demon thinks that guy's a fucking idiot. No one. I think honestly, the person who came out the best out of this was Tori Wilson, probably out of this entire segment. Yeah, and it. Man, like, there's a couple things. First of all, you go back to Tony Schiavone, uh, and I've, I'm a lifelong Tony Schiavone fan, but when he was like, uh, you know, who knows? His opponent could be somebody else in the face paint. I'm like, uh, I turned into your man Michael Clark Duncan from uh, Talladega Nights. Like, don't you put that evil on me, Tony Schiavone. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, this match, it, it, it did what it had to do, which was give your special main eventer his special main event and have him put over Billy Kidman. But the stuff at the end of the match, they could have gone one way with it and had the Kiss Demon start recruiting these mid-card dudes and actually, you know, have a little Kiss army because I guess I hear that's a thing in real life and have his own little stable, his own little squad. But no, like the the guy that's a joke thinks the other guy is a bigger joke, and so now everybody's a joke. So, yeah, I, I did not uh, have a lot of love for this segment. We then go backstage where we get a close-up of Sid Vicious laughing for whatever reason. It's just it's like close-up of his face laughing. You probably just watched that demon match. He's like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> Kiss paid how much? <laughs> <laughs> the NWO goes over their plans for tonight as Jeff receives a phone call. The other members tell him to take the call, but he refuses. 
We then get a Super Brawl graphic. They're, they're actually doing a pretty good job of telling us what's on this card coming up. Unfortunately, what is on this card is Total Package facing Hulk Hogan. In the arena, Total Package enters with a steel chair labeled Hulkster. We are shown footage from Thunder, which featured the return of Hulk Hogan. And even though this clip was only 45 seconds long, it still featured Hulk Hogan fucking up an atomic drop to Elizabeth. Lex gets on the mic and further brags about his casual use of performance-enhancing drugs. Lex says he's won every major title in the industry, a claim that Vince McMahon would dispute. Package then calls down Hogan's best friend, Jimmy Hart, to deliver a message to Hulk Hogan. Hart comes out, not in an airbrush suit, but a black turtleneck with a production headset on. It was like seeing Jimmy Hart like in his cocoon stage. He hadn't quite blossomed. Yeah, it was like uh, by day he's a mild-mannered WCW stagehand, but by night he puts on his airbrush suit and becomes the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart. Hmm. Hart says he doesn't work for Western Union and he doesn't deliver messages, which is a nice plug for one of their sponsors at the time. Yeah. Hart calls Lex a Hulk Hogan <laughs> wannabe who will never sell out as many arenas as Hogan or will sell as much merchandise as Hogan has sold. On commentary, Tony says, I don't think anyone could ever do that. You will never, ever sell as much merchandise as Hulk Hogan has sold all over the world in your lifetime, baby. Well, I don't think anyone will do that, actually. Funny enough, Steve Austin was actually doing exactly that the year before. <laughs> Hart says that if Lex wants to talk to Hogan, he'll have to talk to Hogan himself. A weak-ass Hogan chant then breaks out, which they try to muster, but it really doesn't go anywhere. Package says he has a vicious streak that Hogan lacks. Lex then kicks Hart and puts him in the torture rack. Lex finishes the segment off by breaking Hart's arm. After you go to the doctors, I want you to learn message and I'll see Hogan and Super Bowl after I break your arm. Look at his hand off! Oh! I think my favorite part was the uh, Western Union name drop, just because I I wish, and, and I don't know how they do it, uh, but I wish that more companies would just use their sponsors in casual conversation. I, I think that would be, that'd be a cool thing. Like, like for instance, if, if, you know, it's you, me, and Marty, and we're just here talking about this great episode, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, hey, Marty, man, this is, this is awesome, man. I, I feel so good, and, and you look really good in that pro wrestling tease outfit, man. Bam. <laughs> Send me a check. You know, I, I just wish more people utilize casual conversation as a marketing and selling device. No, Western Union was the KFC Georgia Gold of of its time. Yeah, I would have been. I would have enjoyed a good one eight hundred collect reference as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, just have Rick fly out the parking lot. Yeah. I told you to call me on on one eight hundred collect. Dial down the middle. Woo. <laughs> Hall and Nash, not Nash. Nash isn't on the show. Hall and Sid are then shown walking to the ring for their main event. This gets us to the end of the show where Sid enters the arena as the announcers play up the fact that Hall has never won a world title. Hall comes out by himself to the Wolfpack theme song. Hall enters the ring and tosses his toothpick in Sid's face, so Sid straight up just punches him right in the jaw. Sid hits 10 punches in the corner and then falls over the clothesline. Sid then chokeslams Hall but does not go for a pin. Hall recovers and pokes Sid in the eye. Hall lands a fallaway slam, but Nick Patrick gets caught and bumps in the process. Hall then calls to the back and Jarrett enters. The two men work over Sid before Jarrett turns and walks up the aisle. In the ring, Hall lands the outsider's edge on Sid. Jarrett sees this and comes back to the ring as Hall is covering Sid. Jarrett breaks up the pin and hits Hall with a guitar. Jarrett then places Sid on top of Hall, wakes the ref, and Nick Patrick counts the pin. The rest of the NWO shows up and Jarrett tells them that they're either with him or that bitch. So there we go. We've got some turmoil, some dissension within the NWO. Thankfully, this was a pretty fast match, more of an angle than a match. Uh, 
I mean, I get where they're going, but I almost kind of wish this would have been more of a, a little more of a subtle tease rather than just straight up breaking a, a guitar over the guy's head. Uh, I was reminded of the the Batista Triple H program. And I remember there was a moment in that program where they were both in an elimination chamber and they showed like the next night on Raw an alternate camera angle where you saw that Triple H could have actually helped Batista, but he decided not to. And I just felt like if we'd gotten something a little more subtle rather than just literally being hit over the head with what we got here. I was most impressed that Hall got him up for the razor's edge. That was that was one of those where I was at this point so checked out of everything. And, and I was like, okay, we're getting so close to the end. And then he got him up the razor's edge. I went, oh, he got set up in the razor's edge. And then uh, was I think I was more impressed with that than the whole turn with Jarrett and everything. Man, I... I thought that uh, there was a couple things I thought during this match. I think, first of all, uh, shout out to the Wolfpack theme song. Uh, the other thing I was thinking is, you know, I talked about Bobby Brown earlier. And Scott Hall, to me, kind of is like the Bobby Brown of wrestling. And, and I want you guys to follow my logic here. I'll try. Uh, because Bobby Brown uh, was, was really hot from like 1988 to about 1992, 93-ish. Uh, you know, had some great hits. You know, My Prerogative, Every Little Step, Ghostbusters 2 on our own. And, and, and you know, he had the moves, had the looks, was, was, was a bona fide superstar. Then drugs and alcohol and, and the excesses of fame started to lead to a downfall. And then you got sluggish dance moves and, and the voice wasn't quite right. But you can still see the charisma within the man. And that's how I look at Scott Hall around this time period. You know, he's not the AWA Scott Hall. Or he's not even, you know, the, the, the mid-90s. NWO Scott Hall, uh, who, who was a, I don't want to go as far as to say great ring technician because I might be blowing him up a little bit too much, but dude was not only a physical specimen, but he, you know, he can move in the ring. Uh, but the guy that we saw in this match wasn't quite there. He was like, you know, this is Bobby Brown in, in 98. Uh, you know, he's, he's still got charisma. He's still got the charm that made him a star, but he's not quite got the skill set anymore because time and self-abuse have a weathered them down but uh you know it, it was good to see uh chico on this one man i like I, I, i've got a soft place in my heart for both scott hall and bobby brown so uh this this was a good this was a good match for me it seemed weird that they would take scott hall who seemed like the most like legitimate nwo member of all these guys and sort of like you know put him as a sort of out of the odds of the group like Scott Hall's your last sort of like link. I mean, Hall's or Nash isn't there, but it just seems like he seems the most like to add credibility to the NWO, like more so than the Harris brothers or, <laughs> you know, unnamed woman with breast implants number one, two, three, and four. It just seemed like, well, at least Scott Hall, I mean, he could have been like the Arn Anderson of the group or whatever. It's like, no, we'll put him in the, uh, you know, getting booted out by what was kind of the de facto leader at the time with Jarrett. Well, like most things in WCW at this time, uh, we can never really know exactly where this is going because it will get derailed rather quickly due to some backstage drama. But maybe the thought was they're going to spin Scott Hall off into a singles run, maybe, uh, and he would kind of be on his own. I mean, I always thought Scott Hall, you know, unfortunately for a lot of his own personal reasons, never got that potential where he should have been. I mean, they've been talking about, you know, that he never won a world title, and he probably was the the biggest wrestler to never win a world title anywhere. Um, I mean, fuck, even... Jeff Jarrett, his whole his whole bigger than Ted DiBiase, Million Dollar Man, or Rick Rude, or Mister Perfect. Well, he, I mean of this, I mean of this time period. Okay, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, and, and that everyone gets a, t- gets wasn't a title. Wasn't he always run. wasn't he always supposed to win? When I'd always heard that was like in his contract that he was supposed to have won the world title. Well, I think in this time period in WCW it was really tough because in the because he was the third guy in the NWO. 
always. And I feel that some of that personal stuff hurt him, but you always pretty much had Hall and Nash, I mean, uh, Nash and Hogan just sort of trading the thing back and forth. And then you had, you know, Goldberg for a while, but he was never, for whatever reason, able to put himself in that position where, you know, if you hadn't already been a star before, if you hadn't already been a world champion before coming into WWE, WCW, it was really hard to to make your way up. I mean, they would give it to uh, Randy Savage. They would give it to a, you know, Scott... Uh, or they would give it to a Sid Vicious before they'd give it to a Scott Hall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was always a guy that I would have liked to have seen what he could have done with that kind of a run. But it, it, for, you know, everyone knows about Scott Hall. So it's a, it's unfortunate that we never got to see what he could have done. So yeah, overall, uh, Marty was not very happy with this episode. It sounds like Nate was not very happy with his half. But Nate, I do want to give you a moment. Was there any Was there anything from the half of the show that you did not get to speak about you've exhausted all of your boob puns, but what did you think about some of the other highlights in the rest of the show? Like uh, Booker T being arrested and Scott Steiner apparently booking his own angle with Ric Flair. (laughs) Um, mm. Well, with the, with the Booker T thing, again, we go back to the love hate that I had with that angle. Like I think performance wise, there's nothing really wrong, but I do think the story falls off the rails at times uh, where I think, you know, we could have had this great grounded thing with the two brothers, but uh, now we got to bring in Ahmed Johnson and Jay Biggs. Yeah. It's it's not, it's not a good look. Uh, (laughs) Steiner. I think, well, this is the problem I have with the show in general, man. Like there's not a a lot of likable people on this show. Uh, and you talk about, you know, the the Flair Funk thing. To me, that, that's the perfect example because I guess I'm supposed to like Terry Funk, but I don't. Like, I just in the way that you're presenting this dude, like, okay, I guess you're honorable in that you quit before doing more damage to David Flair, but how about being even more honorable and, and not beating up this non-wrestling-ass kid in the first place? Uh, you know, and Ric Flair, not a likable dude in this one. So it's like there's very few engaging and likable baby faces on this program. And that's that's a problem we, we see uh, today in wrestling. Uh, but, yeah, it, it stands out when the show isn't as good. And this this episode wasn't as good as some of the other ones we've watched. Uh, yes. And we haven't even seen a good episode yet. So that that, that goes kind of a long <laughs> hey, way. Hey, 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 wait a minute. That Kaz Hayashi match a couple weeks ago was off the chain. <laughs> True, true. Yeah, no, no, uh, no mention of the cruiserweight uh, tournament on this nope. on this episode. I guess that was going to be a Thunder exclusive. <laughs> but you uh, you mentioned David Flair, and I think that's one of the reasons why that it's tough because they want to have it both ways with David Flair. This guy's been a U.S. champion. He just lost the tag titles. Yet we're also supposed to believe that he's just like this 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 know nothing right. uh o- almost like an infant almost like if, if you would almost expect this was like a 12 year old boy like if he had had this match with reed flair maybe it would have made sense but not with not with david like how how am i supposed to have in like some sort of i mean last week he had a hardcore match where he like gets caned in the balls like how am i supposed to then have sympathy for this guy like he's this in over his head non non competitor that's, that's a good question, Brian, because and I, I don't know if we've talked about it enough on this program uh, because you can never have enough in-depth David Flair discussions. <laughs> but uh, how, how do you think would have been the way to, to present this kid? Because I think this character 
Probably five years works. later, first of all. <laughs> yeah. I think this character kind of works, but it, it it's also problematic, like you said. Like, like, are we supposed to believe this guy is some sort of idiot savant, or is he this uh, baby in the ring? And so, like, how, how would you have introduced the David Flair character well, differently than uh, like, WCW? Well, because three years later, they do the same thing when uh, he's, like, used as a pawn in that, mm. in that Undertaker uh, Ric Flair build. And, like, uh, him and Undertaker had a match on SmackDown. But it was the same thing. It's like, oh, this kid has no fucking idea what he's doing. Yeah, because, I mean, he jumped him at the at the tracks, I remember. That was an mm-hmm. old uh, thing I really liked. I was like, oh, this is different. I mean, that's I guess that's kind of the perfect way to show. It's like, hey, he's this kid. His dad's famous, so he's already behind the eight ball. And, you know, he's trying to figure it out. And here's the Undertaker taking advantage of this poor kid. And, I mean, any way of making it seem like, oh, no, he's a credible threat because he's crazy is like, no he- way. Yeah, I mean, I liked when they first brought David Flair in, and the whole idea was that, hey, here's this 19-year-old kid that his dad is, like, winning all of his matches for him. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, U.S. champion, and, like, there's a heel element to it. The problem was that the kid just couldn't wrestle, so there was mm-hmm. no following it up. So maybe if it had been, like, three years later, and he actually had some grace on his feet, he actually had some athleticism, and then you partnered it with his dad pulling the strings for him, then you maybe could have gone somewhere. But with this... It was an interesting angle, but as soon as he did the crazy gimmick, which he wasn't bad at performing, but he was adding nothing to the show. I mean, if you got to find something for David Flair to do, (laughs) I guess, but you don't have to find something for David Flair to do. But, you know, that up and down, we've talked about the episode now, and this is the time where we do our silver lining. We say, what was the one thing that we can defend on this show? And Marty will allow you as our guest test subject to uh, to go first. What was something on this show that you would hold up uh, in a positive light? Uh, the, the only thing is that Scott Hall got Sid Vicious up in the razor's edge. <laughs> <laughs> With ease. Man. I could have used I could have used some more uh, some more Sting commercials this week. I, to be honest with you, brother man, <laughs> you know what I think? I'm I'm afraid to tell you. I think you're going to be upset. The original broadcast of the show contained a clip of Steve Borden on Late Night with Craig Kilborn promoting his new film Shutter Speed that was oh. cut from the WWE Network. Oh, that that would have put this over the top because not only do we have Sting, which obviously is a win, but you got Craig Kilborn. I'm a Craig Kilborn fan. You got Daisy Fuentes. Uh, fan of Daisy Fuentes, who is now married to Richard Marks. Uh, and then you got Shutter Speed, which I vaguely remember as being not entirely terrible. Yeah, the WWE uh, Network <laughs> is not able to show clips of other shows. Like, it's not part of their, their broadcast rights. So, uh, also in this, they showed uh, ads for Ready to Rumble, which they were not able oh, to show. Oh, man. Yeah. Man, I wish they would just go ahead and fork out the money to acquire Shutter Speed and Ready to Rumble, Thunder in Paradise. Like, can't, can't be that expensive. <laughs> Can't be that beneficial either, though, Nate. I, you never know. The next generation of podcasters need material, Brian. Man, but Nate, 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 I see what you're doing. You're 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 running away from the issue. <laughs> you got to see something nice about this episode. Uh, at least they had the good sense to put Billy Kidman over. <laughs> okay, for me, I think my positive was that oddly timed cutaway after the Norman Smiley three-count match to Danny Hodge in the front row, mm. losing his shit for Norman Smiley. It's like, if, if, if you couldn't have waited, like, if you know Danny Hodge is there, like, maybe do a cutaway after the Tank Abbott match. That makes more sense, right? Well, you had to go to Tank's biker buddy, though. That's yeah, true. Big Al. Big Al. I mean, the stars were out that night. Maybe I'll say that was my favorite part, how the stars were out, because 
You had Donnie, Danny Hodge at ringside and Big Al. I mean, that's that's an embarrassment of riches. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go with that. I'm gonna, you know what? Show respect to the to the great legendary Danny Hodge and the legendary mystery of Big Al. Like I, I, well, I need, in, I need in MMA Big circles, Al. In MMA circles, he is a, a legend from what I've been told. Yeah, I'll have to ask filthy Tom Lawler if he's familiar with Big <laughs> Al around the MMA circles. Oh, man. I, I, that is what I want. I want every... Great MMA star after after their uh, their fight to to be asked you know not only how did you prepare for the fight or how do you feel the fight went but also what do you think of Big Al? Yeah, he's the next guy Bellator is going to bring in for a big stunt fight. Oh, Big Al versus big, uh, Chael Sonnen. Big Al and Kale, yeah, one more time. Or or <laughs> every uh, Bellator fighter has to have a former bodyguard somewhere in the crowd that they can stare, <laughs> stare down after. Wait that a minute, that's, that's Big Tony. You know who he is. Who's that man glaring at Tito Ortiz? That's Big Tony, his former bodyguard. Also, nothing makes Tank Abbott look tougher than thinking he need to have a bodyguard. Yeah, that, that's how you really put over your monsters. Yeah. This guy's tough. He needed a bodyguard. <laughs> so, Marty, I want to thank you for stopping by the show. Uh, I, I know you entered this a little down, but I'm sure you're quite happy now knowing that you do not have to take over full time as Nate is still conscious and able to perform his duties. Uh, and I can announce my new podcast called Keeping It Thunder, where I review every thunder ever. No, I'm just kidding. I would never do that. <laughs> Cloudy with a chance of thunder. That's what I would call my podcast. Oh, you guys, sign, subscribe me up today. You guys are more than welcome to take that when this is over. Cloudy with a chance of thunder. I will be the executive producer and just collect my money like Eric Bischoff does for <laughs> one of his amazing reality shows. No, this is a backdoor pilot to our new show. Thunder <laughs> isn't paradise. Which oh, oh touche. You got me on that one. But you're the writer. As you're you're the comedian. As yeah. you uh as you make your exit from the satellite of hate here, do you have any parting words for us? Uh you've watched one of these. We've now watched six of these. Yeah. Uh we still have uh Damn, we still have 48 more to go. No, 46. We have 46 more of these episodes to go. Do you have any advice for us as we continue down this road? Uh, yeah, don't, uh, don't watch too much of the current product because it's actually better. And you'll, you'll think that, oh, man, this old stuff wasn't as good as I thought it was. And, um, you know, it's one of those where I used to see those, uh, like I'd watch like the, the death of WCW. You hear those shoot interviews. You hear someone on Flair's podcast, and they're just like, you know, I was glad to see WCW go, and I'd always think, don't say that. Why would you say that? But after watching this, I, I kind of think I understand where they were coming from. <laughs> now, Marty, we're not the only ones around here with a wrestling podcast. You have one as well. If you wouldn't mind letting the listeners know uh, a little bit about your show and where they can find it and more about you. I have a podcast called Marty and Sarah Love Wrestling. It's on the MLW Radio Network. Uh, we're on iTunes, or head over to Marty and Sarah Love Wrestling. That's Sarah with an H. And uh, we don't break down uh, the weekly shows like a lot of the podcasts. We just kind of uh, have a whole lot of fun. It's kind of comedy bang bang meets pro wrestling. Thank you so much for stopping by. Now, Nate, we're going to keep on going with these test subjects. I think they're really useful for when we need to check ourselves and also when uh, <clears throat> one of us is an hour late. But next week, we will be having another guest stopping by. We will be joined by former member of the editors, Chris Urbanovich, who actually did our theme song. So, Nate, we're going to be getting uh, an honest-to-goodness rock star's opinion on next week's episode. Yeah, that'll be fun. You know, it's always good to have a, a control subject in, in this little social experiment up here in, in the satellite of hate and, and, you know, dealing with not only the effects of the space-time continuum, but also, uh, you know, the the 
ills of WCW programming uh, and and bad network song dubs. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Uh, looking forward to chatting with Brother Chris about all things WCW and, and getting his perspective on uh, this this time period. Yes, and we have a lot to look forward to next week. N- not least of which is Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan on next week's show. So... For everybody, I want to thank you for listening. Continue to uh, follow both of us on social media and subscribe to uh, the show on iTunes, obviously. Now, Nate, we have ended another episode, and even though you got here halfway through, I am going to extend the customary courtesy of allowing you to send the people home happy. Uh, Well, again, thank you to everybody for listening to another edition of Keep It 2000. Again, shout out to Brother Marty for joining us up here on the satellite, and uh, We'll be back next time with a another edition of your favorite uh, social experiment slash podcast slash torture device. And, uh, you know, this week I want you guys to go out and, and take control of your life because that was one of the themes on this this week's episode of, of Nitro. You know, who's in control of the NWO? We'll find out. Who's going to control David Flair? We'll find out. But I do know one thing. You control your own destiny in life, so uh, we're going to go out with the illustrious words of Mr. Bobby Brown from his song On Our Own from Ghostbusters 2. Now, can't you see that all you need to be a go-getter, you got to make your own decisions. You got to go for what you know. There comes a time in your life you want to be bigger, but you got to keep keep on pushing. You got to learn to take control. Keep It 2000 is a live audio wrestling production. Executive produced by John Pollock and edited by Brian Mann. Theme song by Chris Urbanovitz. For more shows, check out liveaudiowrestling.com or subscribe on iTunes. That's why this company's in the damn shape it's in because of bullshit like this. This, this, this.